Good morning and welcome to this week's Backstory with me, Noreen Mir. Oh boy, do we have a special guest with us this morning. Not quite in the studio, we're on location today. We have an entrepreneur, you've heard him before many times on TV, on the radio. He was the former chairman of Ocean Park, the founder of the Lan Kwai Fong Group, an entrepreneur, a philanthropist. We have Alan Zeman. Alan, good morning to you. Thank you very much for, for joining us. Good morning. That's quite an introduction, Noreen. <laughs> so tell us, let's start from the beginning. Tell us a little bit about your childhood. Where are you originally from and did you have a happy childhood? I actually uh, grew up uh, as a child in Montreal in Canada. I was born in Germany, but I'm not German. I was two months old. My parents were traveling through Germany. And so many times I see many of the... Uh, Reports in the on the internet saying all oh, that I'm German, but uh, I'll set the record straight. <laughs> I'm definitely not German, but uh, yeah, I grew up in Montreal as a child, and uh, um, my father died. I had a happy childhood. I had an elderly sister uh, who was about six years older than me. Um, she, my father died when I was seven years old, so I really. Um, grew up with my mother. My sister at that time was living in New York City. So I, you could say I was almost a, an only child. Um, I had a good upbringing. Uh, my mother worked. And, uh, and actually, uh, I always look at adversity uh, in a positive way. And, uh, you know, losing your father at a young age, of course, nobody wants that. But I just picked up the pieces and... and uh, started to deliver newspapers when I was uh, 10 years old. Uh, I got a job I was earning at that time from my newspaper route, about $30 U.S. a week, uh, which was a lot of money. Uh, my friends were getting a dollar allowance at the time. And then when I was 12 years old, I got a job uh, on weekends working uh, in a restaurant in a steakhouse, cleaning tables, as they called it, a busboy. And uh, with tips and all that, I was earning $30 a week uh, as well. Together with my newspaper route, I was earning about $60 a week, which was more. My teachers were only earning $35 a week. Uh, and when I was 12 years old, because you weren't supposed to be working when you were 12, I told a little white lie about my age. I said I was 16. There was no internet in those years, so they couldn't really check, uh, check things out. Uh, but it really prepared me. Um, well, at a young age for what the world was all about, the business world, and I guess that gave me my entrepreneurship uh, for, for later life. It was, uh, you know, my upbringing, childhood, I was always in what they called the brain class, although I don't want to say this, I hope not too many listeners are listening, I didn't study very hard, I was uh, kind of naturally smart. I uh, used to use my brain for use common logic to figure out problems. And uh, I was always a very positive person, always looking ahead, looking to the future. Um, and uh, I did, you know, I, I did things that all young people did, but uh, I had money in my pocket, <laughs> a lot of money. And, and so we used to eat out in restaurants, have lunch when everybody was having their lunches packed uh, from their parents and eating sandwiches. We were having lunch in the, outside of school um, in restaurants because uh, I was earning the money for it. And uh, I had a pretty good life. And when I was 16 years old, uh, you can get your driver's license in, in Canada. Um, I 
got my driver's license, and uh, I bought my own car. I had a convertible. And, and, at uh, 16. At 16. <laughs> and I was the... Uh, I was probably the only one in school that had his own car, but I had earned the money, and so uh, I thought, why not? And most of my teachers didn't have a car, and it was, uh, it was, I had a good life. (laughs) I enjoyed the finer things in life, although uh, I came from a very moderate family. We didn't really have uh, money when my dad died in in Quebec, Canada at the time, uh, if there was no will. Uh, the money was left went to the government and not really to the family. So my late father didn't have a will, and so we were left with no money. And so basically, we just picked up the pieces, and um, everybody worked and did their part. But uh, it was. But I, I, I really didn't suffer. <laughs> what did you want to be when you were little? Well, growing up, what, did, did you want to be an entrepreneur? Um, I was always, I always had a thirst for knowledge, you know, and, and but current knowledge. And so I used to read the newspaper, even from a very, very young age. I'd sprawl out on, on the floor uh, reading the newspaper, every single article in the newspaper. So, yeah, and uh, I originally wanted to be, go into the media business because <laughs> I loved, I loved uh, newspapers at the time. I loved the media world, and, and uh, it really... It, you know, it it, uh, it kind of clued me into the world. You know, I was able to really, at a very young age, really uh, understand about politics, understand about uh, you know all the events happening in the world, um, and it so it made my vision uh, very broad. You know, very worldly, and uh, that I, I think helped me. And later on, uh, I was always a fashionista. I, I loved the fashion. I loved clothing and dressing up and so I when I was 16 I went into the fashion business and, and uh, I never looked back actually and so I, I still have a very soft spot in my heart for fashion fashion it, and that also prepared me for my future careers because uh, in fashion you're always thinking ahead you're always thinking what you're going to be wearing the next year the following year um, always looking at different trends and it, it kind of uh, prepared me for the entertainment business, the the restaurant business, property development—it's uh, all fashion. It's all culture, and uh, and so uh, you know, I really enjoyed the things that that I did. I traveled a lot. Being in the fashion business, we used to travel the world, um, looking at different styles, going to Europe, uh, going to uh, United States, seeing what other people are wearing, what what other designers are doing, and uh, it was a very interesting. Um, part of my career at the time. Yeah, you, you came to Hong Kong when you were 19 um, because you were importing ladies' fashion. Had you had you been to Hong Kong before that? No, um, actually I'd been a, from 16. I was uh, working in a, in a lingerie company um, in a, nice. a stock room, <laughs> yes. Uh, it sounded very exciting to a 16-year-old <laughs> yeah. and so uh, I got a job there and, and uh, at 17, I saw that all the money was in selling, and you know, the salesmen just come in with their big fat cigars and say, you know, and working on commission. And I was actually shipping or expediting their orders. And I thought to myself, well, I want to be a salesman. And so um, I got all dressed up. I was looking for a salesman's job at 17 years old. I got all dressed up in a suit and uh, went to apply in a, at the largest dress company in Canada at the time. I had no idea what a dress even looked like. 
but I went and applied for the job. And I t- again, I told a little white lie, and, and, and uh, all the uh, all the criteria the, that the advert wanted, I said I had. And when they said, uh, I said I was selling ladies' lingerie, and they said uh, the interviewer said, uh, "How old are you?" I thought, "Well, I can't say I'm 17 because I'm too young to be a salesman." I said, "I'm 23," and uh, I was the perfect candidate because I had all the qualifications. And they asked me, what's my salary? At that time, it was uh, $60 a week. And I said, well, salesman, I said, it's $175 a week. And uh, they said, okay, well, you're hired. <laughs> and I almost died, at, you know, at 17. And so at the age of 19, I decided I want to start my own business. I always said, if someone else can do it, why can't I? I've always looked at other people. We all come from the same place, and I'm no different than anyone else. So I said, 19, I started my own business, and uh, that was importing ladies' sweaters. Uh, I tied up with a company from London, from the UK at the time, and we came to Hong Kong as two young kids. And, and uh, at that time, Swire McLean was our buying office because we needed some credibility. We were two kids. They were a big company here. And uh, Lydia Dunn, who was in Hong Kong at the time. I think she was the first female CEO uh, of a company. And uh, so she took us on and, and uh, we started working through Swire as our buying agent and uh, importing into Canada and, and the United States uh, ladies' sweaters, fashion sweaters. And we're the first ones with the tie-dye sweaters, embroidered tie-dye sweaters. And, and uh, it, was, it was a huge hit. And at the end of my first year, I'd made a million U.S. profit at 19. And uh, But the taxes were so high in, in Canada, I had to pay more than half to, to, the, tax, to, to the government. And I thought to, to myself, how does anyone get rich in this country? And they said, well, everyone pays tax because socialized medicine, socialized this, socialized that. Someone has to pay for it. And so I... Uh, was in Hong Kong on a buying trip, and I said, what's the tax in Hong Kong? They told me 15%, and a bright light went off in my head. I said, how many years am I going to make a million? I may as well move to Hong Kong. I'll have to, I can earn less, but put more in my pocket. And, uh, and plus, at the time, Hong Kong, when I first said I was moving to Hong Kong, my late mother said, you're moving to Japan? Uh, because no one knew where Hong Kong was in those years. Um, you know, everything was made in Japan. Uh, you know, I'm talking 48 years ago, <laughs> and so it was a totally different uh, time. And uh, I said, "No, it's China." That was for you know, for a mother living in Canada who knew nothing but the far east. Uh, that was even worse. And uh, I, I moved to, uh, but I felt I just loved when I first came to Hong Kong. There was an energy here. It was a can-do spirit. Everyone was working hard. Factories were in Hong Kong at the time. There was just, it was like a, it was really like moving to the moon. It was a total, totally different culture what I had experienced growing up in Canada. But I loved it. I loved the energy here. I loved the place. Um, it was, at that time, there was the, it was colonial colony at the time. And uh, the hardest thing that I had was understanding the English that, <laughs> the, that the government people were, were speaking because the accents were so thick. 
<laughs> it was, it was, that was the most difficult part for me. <laughs> when they used to speak quickly, I used to just shake my head like I knew that, what they were talking about. But you didn't understand. <laughs> I didn't understand, but it was a different world. Uh, but Hong Kong was just a, a, a magical place. It was like, an, I call it an enchanted island. Yeah. Wow. Alan, amazing story so far. Only at 19 you already made your first million. Do, but do you miss having a childhood? Do, do you ever think back and think, oh, man, I wish I did the, the things that kids did? Um, you know, not really. I never really uh, played a lot. It was just not in my psyche. I just felt I didn't want to waste time. I was always in a rush to grow up. And, and I think, again, not having a father, really not... You just realize you're the man of the family and uh, uh, nothing else to do. And, and no one else was going to give it to me, so I may as well do it myself. Um, yeah. And so, uh, you know, I'd always had that initiative. And, and uh, I was always able to solve problems quite quickly. I never got depressed. I just uh, I just always skated on the surface and then just moved on. And, uh, you know, in my world, tomorrow's always a better day. If you have a, a, a down day one day, tomorrow's always a better day. Yeah. Did, did not having a dad at a, at a young age influence you or, or impact you in any negative way? Um, no, I think that uh, you grow up very, very quickly, especially when, you know, he's taken from you at, at very young age, you didn't have that much time to spend with them. Um, but it, you really realize the harshness of life it can be, and, and, and you realize how valuable life is, and that uh, to make, uh, to enjoy every moment that you can. And that's why it's, I try to be creative. I try to enjoy every day. I wake up every day looking forward to the day. And, you know, uh, my my nature is to be very, very positive, very confident. Mm-hmm. I've always had that confidence from a very young age, and I think that really helped me to uh, build a strong character. Yeah. Okay, well, let's go for a song break. Alan, I know you brought along a song with you as well. Um, tell us what that song means to you, and we'll have a listen afterwards. What's the title of the song? I, I Sometimes in the car, I listen to... Uh, Josh Groban uh, singing You Raise Me Up and uh, the reason I, I guess it just nobody's ever asked me that question and so I, I had to really dig down deep to, <laughs> uh, to try to understand uh, what it was but um, I think what really moved me is uh, on Facebook um, one day uh, a few months ago there was uh, in China there was uh, a young boy, I think he was probably eight or nine years old, uh, and a young girl, uh, also she was about seven years old, uh, both Chinese, and uh, they were both singing, they had these amazing voices, someone sent that to me, and they were singing this song, and you raised me up, and the whole audience, they actually brought the audience many to tears, you know, it was really something very, very moving to me. search for it now. Uh, yes, yeah. and, and it really was, because for, for Kids that young, I mean, their voices were just outstanding. And so um, I just like the melody. I like the words. Uh, you Raise Me Up is what I'm all about. Uh, it's something that uh, I wish everyone in Hong Kong and everyone in the world could be up and, and really um, always be positive and, and, and uh, not worry about the things they don't have to worry about. Yeah. And so and so that's what the, you know, what the song really 
uh, I felt means to me. I like the melody because it's soft and it's relaxing and, and uh, uh, you know, it's, so I, I could say it's one of my favorite songs, although I don't have many, <laughs> many, I don't have time actually to listen to radio. Um, um, and music Most of the time, yeah. music. Uh, most of the time, I'm, I'm on the phone. <laughs>
Alan, we've heard the song. You've been in Hong Kong for so many years, 48 years, you mentioned earlier. How has Hong Kong changed over the years? I know it's a big question, but if there's one person who can answer it, it's probably you. <laughs> well, uh, obviously, uh, there has been a big change in Hong Kong from the days when I first got here. Um, you know, when I first got here, there was a strong can-do spirit. Uh, the so-called tycoons, everyone was looking up to tycoons, everyone uh, really uh, wanted to, they used them as a role model. The young generation really wanted to be a Li Ka-shing or, you know, or uh, Li Xiaoqi or one of the, uh, you know, the, one of the people that, that had a lot of money and had built strong empires. Um, I think over the years, post-97, you know, uh, pre-97, when the British were here, no one questioned any any policies that the British did. They actually um, were very good for the infrastructure of Hong Kong. They built a roadmap for Hong Kong. Post-97, um, when we had our first chief executive, Tung Chi Hua, um, people started to question uh, because I think maybe it was a local uh, that was now the chief executive. We didn't have a governor anymore. And uh, I could see that uh, um, it was an organic transition from being a British colony to suddenly being part of China. Many, many people feared that uh, going into 97. I myself was very, very confident because I had my first office when I was in the fashion business. I had my first office in Hunan in Changsha 35 years ago, uh, way before anybody was in China. And I saw the changes taking place in China. And uh, I saw it really uh, moving so rapidly. And for me, it was just amazing. It was like living in a history book. Uh, just seeing the, the, the changes that took place. And, and, and that kind of prepared me for 97. I, I was not worried post-97 because I knew that China, China was changing very, very rapidly. And it was something that uh, really prepared me for the future of Hong Kong. Unfortunately, many, many people in Hong Kong uh, who had escaped from China during the Cultural Revolution, who had come here from China, um, really always had that mistrust. And it's understandable because when they're young, uh, it was a different China. And many never really trusted that China was really moving into the 21st century or the 20th century at the time. And so, um, that you started to see, people started to question all the chief executives, whoever, whether it was Tung Chihua, whether it was Donald Zhang, whether it was uh, CY, uh, and you had a, a, a great fear of, of China. Um, what's happened today, obviously, is uh, you have a very divided society in, in Hong Kong. Uh, China had promised universal suffrage for Hong Kong, as we well know. Many people said this is not true universal suffrage that people, but I always said, what is true universal suffrage? Every country in the world has a different system. Every one of them has its pluses and minuses. In the U.S. now, we're talking about possibly Donald Trump being elected, uh, which, again, has its a whole other story. But, uh, you know, so I'm not sure what system is the right system, and, and I think every country has the system that applies to their people or their time in history. Have you ever thought about running for politics in, in a real way? Well, I've been asked many times, you know, I do a lot of public speaking. Uh, actually, this afternoon I'm 
be speaking at the University of Hong Kong. I've been invited by the students. It's uh, a hot kitchen, Alan. It's a hot kitchen, but uh, you know, I, I do have a, a, a way with the, with the students, uh, um, and I understand them. During Occupy Central, I was down there every day, almost, uh, just trying to understand what was going on. I don't always agree, even pan Democrats. I don't always agree with them, but I give them money to support them sometimes because it's you know uh, everybody has their own views and it doesn't mean mine are always right but uh, you know I'm very open in, in my thinking and so um, I you know I've been asked many times would you consider running for chief executive I do qualify yeah, <laughs> since I changed yeah. my, my passport uh, but uh, it's not something under this system being chief executive is very very difficult it's and a it's, thankless it, job, isn't it's it? a thankless <laughs> job and it's very disheartening you know many of the civil servants who I work with very closely on many projects in Hong Kong, um, I feel very bad for them because uh, they actually don't enjoy going to Let's Go, you know, to get grilled, and, 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 and they're trying their best, and, and uh, you know, sometimes the system kind of stifles you. So I think we, we need to get back to having some kind of an understanding uh, so that we can at least uh, look at protecting the public's money on one hand, but on the other hand, understanding that we need to move forward and we need to be leading, uh, staying ahead of the curve. Yeah. So that's a no, not entering politics <laughs> in a real way. This, not at this moment. <laughs> Alan, you've met so many people in Hong Kong or yes. in, in the world. Uh, anybody who really has made an impression on you? I think uh, I, during... Uh, Last month in Manila, uh, I did meet, uh, have the opportunity to meet Xi Jinping. Uh, what was he like? Actually, very, very bright, very, very hospitable. Um, we spent an hour together in, in you know, in, a pri in private conversations with uh, uh, the government, uh, you know, on behalf of APEC. You know, just talking about trade and different one belt, one road, and things that are important uh, uh, to China and the world. Um, uh, I was very impressed with him. I, I, he, he really, you know, being leader of uh, 1.3 billion people is not an easy task as well. Um, but I was very, very impressed with him. Um, one of the people who I never had the opportunity to meet, but who I really admire is Steve Jobs, the late Steve Jobs. I mean, he literally changed the world uh, with Apple, with, uh, uh, you know, his approach to... to um, to the IT industry, uh, he really, you know, has changed the way people do business, the way people live. Um, you know, the phone has become a third arm part of everybody's life, uh, and and uh, uh, you know, so I really, I, it's just a pity that he was taken at such a young age, uh, and that's why I say that it's really important that everybody just enjoys their life because you never know when tomorrow comes, when that day comes. And so be a good person, enjoy your life, think ahead, and, and do unto others as you would have them do unto yourself. Mm -hmm.